As Elon Musk's Neuralink and other implantable brain machine interfaces continue to advance, it seems like we will soon be living in a world where our minds can control everything. But before we reach this future, it's important for us to first understand our own minds, how they work and how to control them. In this episode, we will explore the power and importance of our inner voice. Hi, I'm Sam Breakgear and you're listening to Brains Bite Back, the podcast looking at our brains on technology. To better understand the chatter in our heads, we are joined by an award-winning professor at the psychology department of the University of Michigan. He is also the author of the new book, Chatter, The Voice in Our Head, Why It Matters and How to Harness It, which comes out today, Ethan Cross. In this episode, we discuss the TED Talk, Mind Control, How to Win the War in Your Head, and why our inner voice can often be very negative. We also look at how we can change this, shaping our inner dialogues to become more positive, thus creating the basis of cognitive behavioral therapy. And in addition to this, you will learn how meditation influences our inner voice, Ethan's work relating to social media and well-being, and why using our name when talking with ourselves can help us overcome difficult situations. Ethan also explains why he uses mental time travel to put problems into perspective. And if you like this episode, some more episodes in the Brain Spike Back Library that you might enjoy are how to become an effective critical thinker, teaching emotional regulation through children's video games, and smartphones and mindfulness, understanding the new wave of meditation apps. So if you like this episode and these types of topics, then subscribe to us and follow us wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. Now let's proceed with the show. Well then, Ethan, I am super excited to have you on the show today, but I would love for us to get started by you telling our listeners who you are and a little bit about your background in psychology, if you could. Sure. Well, well, first, thanks for having me. Um, it's really exciting to be here. So uh, I'm a professor at the University of Michigan in a psych department and the management organizations area, and I direct a laboratory called the Self-Control and Emotion Lab where we, we try to study how people can harness their chatter and make it work for, make their inner voice work for them rather than against them. And, you know, I've been interested in the topic of, of introspection um, really since the time I was five years old. So, so let me tell you a quick story about how I got into psychology. When I was five, my dad started telling me whenever I had problems that the way to manage those problems were to go inside, introspect, try to find solutions for how to deal with them. And by and large, uh, that advice served me well. And then I got to college and took my first psych class, really eager to understand what science had to say about what I'd spent so much time doing and talking about with my dad. And, and that's when things got a little complicated. Uh, on the one hand, I found that a lot of people had studied this capacity to introspect and found that it was indeed quite useful, just like my dad had told me. We experience issues in our life, whether they be at work or in our relationships, we turn our attention inward and that helps us problem solve, innovate and create. The ability to reflect on ourselves is this amazing gift, according to many. On the other hand, there's also a, a very big body of evidence suggesting that a lot of the time when people turn their attention inward to work through their problems, it often doesn't help, it backfires. It leads to what I think of, uh, what I call chatter instead, which, which 
refers to this negative cycle of thoughts and feelings that we experience when we, we try to work through our problems but end up spinning instead. We worry, we ruminate, we catastrophize. And, and trying to make sense of, of that, of those two different sets of findings. On the one hand, we can introspect our betterment. On the other hand, it often makes things a lot worse. That became a big puzzle for me. It's one of the, the big puzzles of the human mind, at least as far as I'm concerned. And it's, it's what I've spent the past 20 years trying to, to figure out. That was some really good advice from your father. I think that that was uh, yeah, very wise and I'm glad it sent you down that path of uh, your interest in psychology and uh, has led to all your work today. I have to say my, my interest in uh, psychology isn't as entertaining. My parents loved Fraser, so I ended up watching a lot of that in the mornings as a kid, but I was fascinated with uh, all the little psychology bits that you came out with. But in the end, uh, it led us down the same path. You've got a cooler story into it than me. But um, <laughs> I Well, you know, lots of insights have come from sitcoms. I can't tell you how many times Seinfeld has been cited in formal academic talks. So <laughs> you're not alone. Uh, that's good to know. Um, so yeah, I, I really wanted to have you on today because obviously we're a psychology and technology based podcast, but I think this element of psychology is particularly important for our everyday lives. And also I think it's going to become increasingly important purely for the sake. And this is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because Elon Musk is currently working on Neuralink. And I think a number of other companies are working on this technology where we will connect our brains with technology. And I think being able to control your inner voice will become more important than ever if we do enter any kind of state where technology is linked up you're not going to want your thoughts going wild and perhaps searching all sorts of random things and not being able to control it um, but also even before any of that happens i think it's just incredibly important for our our mental health now there's an interesting ted talk called mind control how to win the war in your head by owen fitzpatrick I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it highlights how our inner voice is often very negative. I'd love to know why is that the case? I mean, it's not always the case for everyone, obviously, but it seems to be a reoccurring theme that sometimes our voice can be overly negative. Have you found that at all? Uh, yeah, that is true. So I like to think about our inner voice as a tool. It's a tool that we use to navigate the world. It's a tool that helps us problem solve, plan, uh, narrate our experiences. It's a tool that helps us control ourselves. Now, a lot of the time that we need to use that tool is when we experience problems and problems tend to have a, a negative tinge to it. So, so I think it, 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 it makes sense in that sense that oftentimes when this mental capacity, this mental system is, is becoming activated is in negative situations. But having said that, there is an enormous level of variability and how positive or negative people's um, inner internal conversations are. Uh, like I hinted at earlier, we use this we use this tool to do lots and lots of things. Um, you know, fantasizing about 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 potential futures that we want to achieve, or or simulating ways of succeeding. So, to give you a concrete example, before I have to give a, a, a high stakes presentation, I'll often I'll often in my head simulate what I'm going to say, how I'm going to respond, and so forth and so on. And oftentimes, the simulations in my head are really positive. I'm, I'm killing it in the talk, right? So that would be an example of using that, that inner voice 
in a, in a very positive way. So it tends to be negative, but it need not be. There's a lot of variability. And perhaps the most important thing, I think, for listeners to take away from this conversation about the inner voice is that it's malleable, that science has revealed tools that exist that can reroute our inner dialogue so that if we find them going in the negative direction, if we find ourselves being overly self-critical or disparaging, we have the capacity to shift those inner monologues. And, and that I think is a really important nugget because it means we are not uh, beholden to, to these kinds of verbal thoughts. Instead, we have the ability to control them. When you say they're kind of malleable and we can control them, is that the basis of cognitive behavioral therapy? Yeah, it is. Um, so what, what CBT does is, uh, CBT short for cognitive behavioral therapy, is it, it teaches people skills uh, in the context of therapy to dispute thoughts that are irrational and self-defeating and reduce the negative impact that those kinds of negative thoughts are having on one's life. So, so that is certainly a way of, of rerouting our internal dialogue. The kinds of tools I talk about in Chatter are not, are not tools that you need, that you, you need to um, use with a therapist. They're things that you can do uh, on your own in many cases instead. Excellent. And yeah, you mentioned it there, but you have a book coming out called Chatter, The Voice in Our Head, Why It Matters and How to Harness It. While writing this book, is there anything you learned that you didn't know before, or did it change how you manage your own voice in your head? Well, the, the two questions there, and the answer to both questions is yes. Now, I, I'm just kidding. I'll give, I'll give you some answers to, to those <laughs> questions. Um, so I did learn a lot while writing the book, which, which made it a really enjoyable, for the most part, experience. Um, the first thing that that I learned is I did a lot of journalism in this book. I, I spoke to people from various walks of life, uh, former CIA spies, uh, Olympic caliber athletes, C-level professionals, and then folks that were just maybe didn't achieve the highest achievements in life, but more ordinary people. And there was a constant that ran through their stories, which is they've all experienced chatter at times. They've all struggled to harness this voice in their head, this tendency to ruminate and worry at times. None of these people were, were um, suffering from clinical disorders. They were just living life and battling the voice inside their head at times. And so that, that really stuck with me, the universality of this experience. The other thing that I learned was that it goes back to this issue of what are the tools that exist for helping people manage these internal conversations. Uh, so, so let me tell you a story that'll get to the insight I had here. My wife is from, from South Africa and about 15 years ago uh, when, we, when we got married, we visited her relatives in South Africa and we took a couple of days uh, on the side to go to the, to the bush where this really incredible magical place where you know, lions literally roam free and you can drive up and hear them roar and things like that and, and lots of other animals too. Now, one thing you should know about me is that I come from the city. I grew up in Brooklyn. I spent my first 30 years of my life living in, in cities. So I'm not particularly comfortable with non-human species, right? Like lions don't, don't um, they set off all sorts of alarm bells. And so I was initially 
concerned when our tour guide said, hey, let's go on a nature walk. And, and I found myself, interestingly, standing a lot closer to him on that walk than, than I did my wife. Um, but, but as we walk through the bush, he, he started pointing things out. He'd point to one plant and go, you see that over there? That's Charmin, two-ply, so toilet paper, essentially. Th then he'd point to another bush and he goes, you see that? Aloe vera. You can use it if you get some kind of rash. Another, another tree he pointed to, you know, that's a place you could set up shop and, and have shelter. And so when, when this tour guide looked around, he saw lots of tools that could help him survive. When I looked around, I just saw danger. And so I had a similar kind of experience working on this book because as I really dug deep into the science, what I realized is that tools exist all around us for managing our internal conversations. They're in a certain sense hidden in plain sight in the words we use to think about ourselves, in the relationships we have with other people, and even in the physical world around us, there are tools to manage our internal conversations. And, and that, was a, that was a bit of a mind blower for me, uh, really exciting discovery. Uh, you asked me also about how it changed me. Uh, so working on Chatter certainly changed me too, because as I really dug into the science behind these different tools that exist for managing, managing our Chatter, it made me a lot more deliberate about how I respond when, when I experience chatter at times. And so uh, I'm much more conscious about using specific tools the moment I catch myself slipping into a fit of rumination or worry. And, and I often find myself cycling back and forth between different tools. One of the, the themes of, of my book is that there are no single cure-alls right? There's no single magic pill. Different tools work for different people in different situations. And so there are combinations of tools that I rely on uh, to help me. And, and that by and large has been a, a rewarding experience using those different tools. It's interesting you mention about tools because you, I suppose you're absolutely right in the sense that if you can manage this, then it can become a tool uh, that's on your side. And I had some, uh, a strange experience this year, actually, where we were in quarantine. I'm not sure if I mentioned this on the show before, but here in um, Colombia, we had a very strict quarantine. We're only allowed out one day a week, a designated day a week to go get shopping. And then we spent like months essentially indoors. And I, I live alone, so I spent months and months just by myself. I didn't see anyone. The only time I saw people was over screens. So I was incredibly isolated. Um, and for the first time in my life, I had uh, like a, a, almost like a panic attack and I'd never experienced this before. Like I had been hit by a, a like a wave of anxiety, but fortunately having uh, studied psychology and understanding in everything to do with anxiety, I just started breathing and I started focusing on my breathing and I pretty quickly calmed down. But I was wondering if meditation uh, is something that's popped up in your work before because uh, around about the same time I started meditating, I'd always known of it and its benefits, but I'd never really utilized it or truly felt the need to make it a part of my daily routine. And I have found that that's an incredible tool for managing the chatter in your head. And even after meditating, I can feel a slightly different, I don't want to say tone, but more relaxed kind of nature to the voice inside my head. But yeah, essentially I was just wondering if, uh, you had focused on meditation at all in your work and if it comes up in the book at all? 
Well, you know, um, we've done a little bit of work on mindfulness, which is a, a kind of meditative practice. There are, of course, lots of different kinds of, of meditations out there. You know, I, I got a mantra and learned how to meditate when I was five years old. So the same, the same guy, my dad, who told me to go inside, he was really into Eastern philosophy. And so my birthday present when I turned five was, uh, was a mantra rather than a bicycle. So, you know, woohoo, back then, it wasn't exactly what I was looking for. But uh, I've certainly meditated myself over the years on and off. And, and I do think it's, it's a useful tool for managing chatter. I like to think of it as one tool, though, amidst many. And I think adopting that kind of broad approach is, is useful because meditation can take time. And it's not always possible to sit down for five or 15 minutes and, and repeat your mantra or focus on your breath. And so if you can do that, that's great. But in moments when you can't do that, there are other techniques available. And I think that has value. Hopefully you're enjoying the show and if you are, make sure you subscribe and never miss an episode. You can find us on all your usual podcast sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podcast Addict and a whole lot more, including YouTube. And we want to hear what you think, so be sure to leave us a review and we will give you a shout out on the show. Just search Brains Bite Back wherever you get your podcasts. I also have another question for you. This one might be harder to answer, but I would just love to get your thoughts on it because since we never have the opportunity to live inside anyone else's head, how can we tell if there's something wrong or inaccurate with our inner voice and the way we are thinking? Well, you know, I, I, I love that question. That question speaks to an experience I've often had when I talk about the inner voice to audiences. So let's also be clear about what we're talking about with the inner voice, right? We're talking about thinking in words, verbal reasoning, which we all do. As long as our brains are, are, are working properly, we haven't had strokes and things like that. We all have this capacity to think in words. And we can also think in other terms. We can think in terms of images as well. But a lot of a lot of the time we have alone with ourselves is spent bathed in words. And a lot of people don't feel comfortable talking about their private experiences. It's not something that I think everyone goes around volunteering. You, you mentioned before, Sam, uh, well, with this Neuralink, what if we had the capacity to really peer inside the head? I'd love to talk a little bit more about technology later on in the interview. We've done some, some work in this, but it's a very private kind of experience. And so, as a result, we, we don't know what other people's experiences with their inner voice are like. And so one thing that I hope my book Chatter does is make clear to people that we all have these conversations with ourselves at times. They can be negative. They can be positive. Here's why we have these, these internal conversations. Here's the benefit they often provide. And then I also hope what, what I can do with the book is, is point out that if you find yourself spinning, if you find yourself having these internal conversations take over so that they're interfering with your, your work, your relationships, your health, that's a cue to you to say, okay, well, maybe there are some corrective actions I need to take to bring those internal conversations back on track. I think you're absolutely right. The more external conversations we have about our internal conversations is, is going to normalize and hopefully help uh, those that maybe do have something wrong and also for anyone i suppose anyone really because like you said it's a tool and like all tools you have to learn how to use it but you did mention then that 
there's some knowledge you have surrounding our inner voices relating to technology or some interest at least i'd love to hear your thoughts on this and uh if you want to share them well you know we've also done a lot of work over the years on social media and well-being so and what's interesting to me about social media is it provides us in a certain sense with a giant megaphone for broadcasting our inner voice I don't know if this is still true, but for a long time, Facebook's prompt when you would log in would be to basically write down what is on your mind. And so this is a unique moment in time where we have a technology encouraging us to share the thoughts that are streaming through our head. And what makes this fascinating to me is that when we share with a device, that's different from sharing with a human being. Normally, when we share our internal thoughts and feelings, we're looking at another person in the face or we're, we're talking to them over the phone and we can hear their feedback or we could see the, the effect our words are having on another person in, in their facial expressions. But, but when we can share our inner thoughts and feelings to a device, some of, the, some of that feedback that often constrains the way we share, that might lead us to not, for example, articulate really strong negative emotions or say things that are particularly hurtful, those social constraints are removed. And so it changes the entire nature of sharing, which I think is fascinating. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean social media only leads us to share in ways that are ugly. For example, you know, uh, being cyberbullying and trolling and, and those kinds of things, which certainly do happen. It can promote those kinds of behaviors, but also allow us to connect and, and support others in fantastic ways. But it, it, it certainly provides a, an entirely new playground for our inner voice. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right in, in the sense that we now have way more data out there as well regarding thoughts and behaviors. And I think that was highlighted in a previous episode that we did where we had a professor of psychology on and she conducted a study analyzing blackout drinking culture during quarantine entirely based on tweets so taking all the tweets from the us they analyzed what the culture of blackout drinking was like this year versus last year and the insights were really incredible i'm not going to go into them if you want to check out that episode uh, anyone that's listening then i'd highly recommend it but it is interesting that yeah, this technology allows us to see almost a different side of people, almost it, it permits people to share their thoughts in a way that we've never really seen it before in society. And it's so interesting that there's like this wealth of data out there that can be analyzed and just shine greater insights into the thought processes of a whole population. And let me just th throw out one more observation and then we can, we can keep chatting about, about chatter. But I think what's also fascinating to me about technology and the inner voice and this space is that this technology has been around for, a, a, you know, relatively speaking, a very short period of time. So we haven't had time really to develop norms to govern the way we interact with it. So norms are really powerful, right? When your kids, your parents and caretakers and cultures teach you, hey, here's the way society works when it comes to talking about things in your head. You do say some, you say some things, you don't say other things and so forth and so on, right? Th those kinds of messages 
get delivered to us very early. So, you know, at least in my culture, I grew up, you don't, you don't curse someone out to their face. You, you know, if you find a more diplomatic way to say it, or, you know, you, likewise, you reject it. If you want to reject someone, you don't do it over the phone, you do it in person and so forth and so on. I don't think we've had time to develop those kinds of norms to socialize people about how to use social media in a way that makes it optimally productive. And, and I, I suspect those norms will develop with time. But right now, it, it feels very much like the wild, wild west. We're just trying to figure things out as, as we move along. And algorithms then change everything about how these platforms work, which then throw everything in disarray. And so it's a very interesting time. Oh, indeed it is. And you saying that makes me think uh, maybe we should have some kind of social media etiquette class in school or something moving forward. I don't know if you're, you're joking about that. Sam. I'm kind of. I just can't imagine it. I'm thinking like it's a half joke. I mean, I'm pretty sure that it could probably be useful, but also I can't even begin to imagine what that class would look like. There'd probably be a lot of eye rolls, I would say. I'm thinking yeah. about my daughters taking the class and rolling, rolling their eyes. But I will say this. I do think that there is value that comes from knowing about how social media works, so to speak, in terms of how it impacts psychology. Just to be extremely concrete, give listeners two, two, two things to think about. Knowing, for example, that it's a lot easier to be emotional when we're typing into a, a little thought bubble you know, on Facebook or Twitter to share how we feel, as opposed to saying something directly to someone else's face. Like Knowing that technology can, can make it easier to share our raw emotions I think that knowledge has power, right? I remind myself of that before I, I write an email to someone else when I'm upset about something or, or post something on social media. Another thing that I think it might go into this etiquette class is knowing about the impact of time on our emotions. One of the things we know is that as time goes on, our emotions tend to fade. And so you might be so upset at something I just said to you, right? But you know, in an hour from now, you'll, you won't be as upset or a day from now. Because we have these smartphones that we carry with us all the time that have social media apps on them, we have the opportunity to share our feelings at their very peak, right? In, in ways that we, we just can't share with other people because other people aren't always around when we're experiencing other emotions to talk with them. And so, so those are just two examples of little tidbits that explain how social media mixes with emotions. And I think knowledge of which can be really useful for guiding how people interact with those technologies. Mm -hmm. No, I, I completely agree. And I, I wanted to get one more piece of advice from you. And I think this could be the most valuable piece for our listeners. So really, Ethan, what are some tips and advice that you have to manage our inner voices more effectively? And how can we be more positive? So in Chatter, I talk about 20 or something science-based techniques and, the, and the, the research around them. Let me give you just, just three in the interest of time. Uh, and there are three techniques that, that I rely on uh, to my benefit. So one thing you could do is is try to coach yourself through a problem like you were giving advice to someone else and actually use your name as you think through your problems to do that. So, you know, if it's me and I'm struggling with how to deal with this sticky situation at work, I'm like, all right, Ethan, how are we going to deal with this? What, what are you going to do? I'm using words 
Ethan, you, that we typically use to refer to other people. I'm using those words to talk to myself silently. And, and one of the things we find is that that can be really helpful for giving people some mental space from their problems in ways that help them think more clearly about it. We are much better at advising other people than we are at advising ourselves. And this technique called distant self-talk really capitalizes on that mechanism. It helps us think about ourselves like we were someone else. So that's one thing you can do. Uh, another thing that, that I do is something called mental time travel. So if I'm experiencing stress, worry, uh, if I'm ruminating about something that just happened, I'll, I'll remind myself, I'll, I'll, ask, I'll, I'll make myself think, okay, well, how are you going to feel about this a week from now, a month from now, or a year from now? What that does is it makes clear that the, the distress, the chatter I'm experiencing right now over this event is, is temporary. It will eventually pass as, as, as most problems do. Not all, but many. Um, and that gives people hope, which can also be an important antidote for chatter experiences. The final thing I'll do is I'll leverage a feature of my environment. I, I'll, so when I was writing this book and during moments of writer's block, I, I found myself doing something somewhat odd for myself. I would go to the kitchen and I'd tidy up. I would start doing the dishes, putting them away nightly, make neatly, making sure there was nothing on the kitchen table. And I say that this was odd because I'm not known for, for being a particularly neat guy. My wife, in fact, initially was wondering what was going on, why I was doing this, although she wasn't, she wasn't displeased with my behavior. What I was essentially doing is I was ordering my surroundings to, to try to regain a sense of control and order that I was lacking on the inside. When we experience chatter, we often feel like our thoughts are running wild. We can't control them. They're disordered. And so what science has shown is that you can regain order from the outside in by organizing your spaces. And, and so I've, I've uh, relied on that tool as well. So those are just three examples of, of the kinds of science-based tools that exist for managing your internal conversations. There's you know, over a dozen more that if re, uh, listeners are, are interested in, uh, they could learn about from Chatter. Yeah, I think those are three very decent pieces of advice. And I can honestly say I find it easier to sleep in a bedroom that's tidier than, than dirty at night or messy rather. But um, on the second point you made, I have to say one thing that came to mind. I remember a couple of years ago, I was working on a high pressure sales job. And in order to like cope with the pressure, one of the tactics I took was to write down my worries at night. So before I went to bed, I'd be like, I'm worried about this going through or this not happening or this person not getting this or this deal not closing. And I remember I, I was really glad that I did it because on many occasions, I would look back one month later at my worries from a month ago or six months ago. And I'd look back at them and be like, that came to nothing. Why was I worrying about it? And it made so many of my problems seem so minuscule. And that's kind of given me perspective throughout the rest of my life where I look at a problem that I have today. I'm like, is this going to be a problem in a month? Is this going to be something I even think about in six months? And most of the time it's not. And then I realized to myself, well, there's really no point dedicating this much energy to this. So I think you're absolutely right with all of those points. And uh, I can't wait to get my hands on that book. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a good read from back to front, from back to front, front to back. <laughs> and, uh, 
I'm really glad to have you on the call today. And thank you so much for joining me. Ethan, if people do want to read your book or keep in touch with you, what is the best way for them to do that? So if people want to learn more about Chatter, it actually just came out today. Really exciting. You can, you can find um, links to, to find on my website, Ethan Cross with a K.com. That is Ethan, K-R-O-S-S.com. And uh, on that website, you could find uh, lots of information about the book and, as well as links to the research that, that I review there. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you so much, Ethan. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It's been a ton of fun. This episode is brought to you by Publicize, a digital PR company that grows businesses' online presence. And for a limited time only, exclusive to Brains Bite Back listeners, you can receive an SEO assessment as part of your package for any tier of service at no extra charge with this special promotion. To find out more, visit publicize.co slash BBB. That is the end of today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this and you want to hear more episodes just like it, then follow and subscribe to Brains Bite Back wherever you get your podcasts. We are also available on YouTube under the channel of our publication, The Sociable. Just search Brains Bite Back and you will find all of our episodes there. We really love hearing from you, so leave us a review on iTunes and on other podcasting platforms to let us know what you think and we'll give you a shout out on the show. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at, at The Sociable. And finally, go to sociable.co where you can find all our episodes and plenty of articles on topics just like this. Thanks again for joining us and until next time, stay healthy and stay safe.